0: Doctors don't have a clear understanding of it. It started opening up my mind to like, how does the human body work? This is a real thing that really affects people.
1: This is a major pain.
0: Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Elizabeth about histamine intolerance. This manifests as extreme allergies and environmental sensitivities. This is something that I was really excited to dive into in this episode because this is a totally different form of major pain than what we've covered on the show so far, but something that is really hard to manage. When you have serious environmental sensitivities, it's really hard to go anywhere or do anything because you never know what environment you're going to find yourself in. For anyone who has allergies or has any issue With any sort of environmental situation, you're definitely going to relate to this. Elizabeth was a fantastic guest. She did such a great job describing what it is she's going through. She's got all the tips for what she does to kind of manage her situation. She was super fun to talk to, and I just really enjoyed this conversation. So, as always, I'm so excited to share this with you today. We'll dive into that in just a couple minutes. So, two weeks ago, we released our last episode with Dr. Chris Fowler, a pain researcher. Thank you to everyone who reached out with positive feedback. I heard from several people about how impressed and amazed they were with uh, Dr. Fowler's wealth of knowledge and how much they related to and were impacted by what he had to share. So, if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I really highly recommend it. It was so fascinating. Several pieces of that conversation have really stuck with me and have sort of started to shape how I think about chronic pain pain in general. So, it's really a must-listen as far as this podcast is concerned. And that episode was so long and so dense that I decided to not put an episode out last week and give you all a full two weeks to dive into that three-hour-long conversation and digest it all. And I'm very excited to be back this week. I missed you all. I'm thrilled to have a new episode for you. And I'm very excited to announce that my friend Laura actually signed up on Patreon. So, Laura Stevens, thank you so much for supporting this show. You will get a gift in the mail. We'll be sending that out actually just a couple days because the month is almost over. So, I'll be sending that in the mail to you shortly. Um, Thank you so much for supporting the show. Laura's an old friend from high school and you all are actually going to get to meet her next week on the podcast because she and I actually just recorded an episode recently about social anxiety. You can probably imagine that if you have intense social anxiety, getting on a podcast and talking about it publicly would probably be very nerve-wracking and I'm so excited to tell you that Laura did an amazing job. She had taken notes and she had prepared and she had so many amazing tips to share. And I feel like it's so relevant right now to be talking about social anxiety in the time of COVID when so many people are self-isolating or jobs have been shut down, social activities have been shut down, and a lot of us have had those muscles, those social muscle muscles atrophy. So, I'm really excited to share that with you next week and you'll get to know Laura very well. But for now, I'll just say, Laura, thank you so much for your support of the Major Pain Podcast. This is a passion project for me that I would love to turn into a career. I have no idea how feasible that is, but I'm going to try my hardest. And a big part of that is going to be uh, having the listeners sign up on Patreon to support the show with a monthly, monthly contribution. So if you have the financial resources to help out, head over to patreon.com slash major pain podcast. We have all sorts of rewards, including recognition in the end credits of the show and gifts my mom has helped us to create Create some physical gifts to mail out to people. You can find all the information on our Patreon page at patreon.com majorpainpodcast. And stay tuned at the very end of the show for our thank yous. You will hear Laura Stevens' name added in this episode, and for as long as she is supporting the show, I really appreciate it. We have three tiers of support starting at just $2 per month, all the way up to our producer tier at $25 per month. And I'll take this moment to thank our Patreon producer, Steve Kavanaugh, who helped to make this episode of Major Pain possible. So next week on the podcast, we'll be hearing from Laura about social anxiety. And the week after that, I recorded a really fantastic conversation with Emily. I just recorded this today about late stage Lyme disease, which means that she was basically diagnosed with Lyme about 20 years after being exposed to it through a tick bite. And it was, wow, it's such a great conversation. I I feel like a broken record. I'm always just so amazed by the conversations that I'm having. But, you know, that's part of the magic of this podcast for me is diving into all of these, you know, medical mysteries and these incredible stories that all of our guests are living through. Um, just really remarkable stuff. I mean, we haven't done an episode yet where I wasn't amazed by something about the episode. And I guess it works out because I'm making the show. So I might as well be excited about it. But man, this this conversation with Emily was really really sensational. I mean, so much of what she had to say was so powerful, and she had such a great perspective because she's someone who had a mystery illness and then found a diagnosis and went through a really intense treatment and has come out the other side and is now getting some functionality back. And it was a really incredible story that I'm excited to share. So, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. If you are unfamiliar with how to do so, head to majorpainpodcast.com slash subscribe, and there are instructions for all the ways that you can Subscribe to this podcast. You can keep up with the show on social media on TikTok and Instagram at Major Pain Podcast or on our brand new Twitter at Major Pain Pod. We're up to four followers on Twitter. (laughs) Very exciting. So if you're on Twitter, show us some love. One real quick story I want to share with you. So between the last episode coming out and now, I actually went to Montana. Andy and I went on a little road trip to go to um, some close friends' wedding, and I learned something really important about being in a wheelchair. So there was actually a lightning storm during the wedding. The ceremony had ended and we were all under the tent and getting through the toasts and just kind of getting to the end of the of the wedding itself when all of a sudden these huge thunder cracks happened and we the rain started pouring down really heavily and we started seeing really bright lightning all around us. And it occurred to me, you know, I'd never thought about this before, but I'm sitting here in a wheelchair and it's made of metal. And I wonder if that's dangerous. (laughs) I wonder if it's a bad idea to be in the middle of a lightning storm in a wheelchair. So I pulled out my phone, I looked it up on Google and very quickly discovered that it's very dangerous to be in a wheelchair in a lightning storm. Basically, you know, you are the lightning rod in that situation. So when lightning happens, you want to be undercover. You want something to be above you or around you that will absorb the electricity and transfer it into the ground. And in a wheelchair, you're uncovered. You don't ever want to be on a bike or a wheelchair in a lightning storm. This is something I'd never thought about before. But, you know, luckily we were towards the end of the evening. So I turned to Andy and I said, you know, we better go. Let's go. <laughs> There's a brunch tomorrow. We'll come back and hang out with people tomorrow. So we hightailed it out of there. Uh, But yeah, I was just shocked to learn that because this is something I'd never thought about. And I just really want to spread this message because I know that a lot of people that listen to this show are in wheelchairs. So if this is something you didn't know, I want to make sure you know. And the last thing I'll say before we jump into our fantastic episode with Elizabeth today is that if you're enjoying this show, I always really appreciate any ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. We are hovering at 19 ratings. I would love to hit that number 20 this week. So, if you haven't left us a positive rating and review yet, please do. I always appreciate that so much. All right, well, let's jump into our conversation with Elizabeth about histamine intolerance. Elizabeth, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, it's nice to be here. It's great to be a part of this community.
0: I'm so excited to talk to you. We connected through TikTok and we are meeting for the first time today and we couldn't stop chatting and we're like, we got to gotta record this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so we got to push record and then keep chatting. So I'm sure this is going to be an awesome conversation today. I'm really excited to talk to you.
1: I hope so. Yes, that's like, I'm really excited to share stuff with the community and to, um, to talk to you. Yeah, just in general.
0: Awesome. So Elizabeth, why don't you tell us a little bit about, a little bit about yourself?
1: Um, so professionally, in my professional life, I'm a computer geek. I've been, um, I was on the internet before there was an internet. I'm one of those people that oh, wow. goes way, way back. <laughs>
2: um,
1: I've done pretty much, um, there was a point where I could say comfortably that I've, I've played with most of the technologies out there. I can't say that anymore because there are just too many out there. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, I come from a help-death background, so, you know, like, IT is my world. Um, personally, I'm an an artist um and a painter and a crafter my main type of art is poetry um and lately tiktoks um putting things on tiktok cuz that's a great it's a great short medium which works wonderfully with my ongoing health issues right um <laughs> so that's that's me um i mean there's there's i'm also a divorcee and my mom who's retired and is in a wheelchair lives with me so those are the other parts of myself but I mean it's funny I think of myself as being um uh, living a really boring life for someone who has um really outrageous ideas in her head you know
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's awesome the internet before there was an internet so were you like on the cutting edge of you know knowing that the internet was coming and all that stuff
1: Okay, so back in the day, back in the late 90s, there were these things called, um, so if you know the long history of the internet, there was a thing called ARPANET. And that was used by the military and by um, people who were educators, you mm. know, like uh, PhD students and, and other call- collegiate types of people. Um, as that was going on, there were computer hobbyists Um and they would literally make little computers for themselves, kind of like the robot guys that you have now, the people that aren't making their own robots and making them fight. Back in the day, it was, <laughs> I'm going to make a computer so I can communicate with people. Wow. Um, or I could play a game. And I was um, in uh, part of the bulletin board system community, the BBS community. Um, I had friends when I was in my my late teens, like um, you know, 15, 16, 17, that were um, on these little uh, Direct connect computers, you know, you dial from your computer into their computer. And lots of people did that. Bulletin board systems. Um, And that was before there was the World Wide Web, before WWW even came out. Um, So I really am an old school geek. I come back. Now, at that time, I was not as much of a geek as the people I hung out with. (laughs) You know, I was kind of a, a, you know, a follower geek. Um, But coming from that background has been huge in my career because, like, I know a lot of stuff. I know a lot of stuff about a lot of different areas. Yeah, um, it sounds so, yeah, like and, it.
0: Very cool. I mean, yeah. I'm 36, so I remember the day we got the internet. You know, like oh yeah, I, I remember my dad just like we got the internet. And I'm like, what? What's the internet? You know, I don't, the internet? I don't know what that is. Um, yeah, and he's like, yeah, you can you know go to websites and find information. So that sounds boring. <laughs> I Did was you see
1: wrong. The did you see the Bo Burnham special inside? Did you see the whole, uh, the I internet, it, no. um, I heard purpose?
0: about it. I've seen a lot of clips, you know, I've heard the Jeffrey Bezos song a thousand times on TikTok.
1: <laughs> the Welcome to the internet. It like really spoke to me because mm-hmm. it talks about, it talks about where we are now. And also it alludes to, um, you know, how uh, you know, th- where it came from, what the intent is and what it is now. And mm. it's, it's a really interesting song for that. For Ooh, that I should
0: listen to that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Just even that one, like go and check it out on, um, but yeah so yeah i'm i'm old school internet Um, yeah that's doing this forever
0: i i love the internet i feel like the internet is just just such a powerful tool i mean this is kind of off topic here but the fact that the whole world is now connected and communicating the fact that we're recording this podcast right now it's going to be out on the internet you know i mean my whole My whole world revolves around the internet now, and it's just so interesting to think about the fact that when I was a child, it didn't exist, and I didn't know what it was when it first appeared, and I thought that it was going to be boring.
1: (laughs) The fact that we can have this community, that's what always gets me, is there's, number one, um, uh, knowledge is widely shared. You know, you really can... You have to trust your source. You have to be careful about, you know, believing the first thing you read or believing, Hmm. um, making sure it's kind of like with science, you have to go read the papers and see how many people, papers agree with that perspective. So important. Um, That's true on the internet too. Um, But it's also true that the fact that we can um, have those of us in the disability community coming together and talking to each other about experiences where before we'd only be able to talk to our doctors or if we were lucky enough to have people close to us that we could talk to um it really it allows us to have a worldwide community instead of having just a local community or having no community i mean like that's what i love about the internet right now um, is this feeling of on tiktok i get to listen to people talking about their lived experience and saying you know what i've now heard four or five people saying the same thing that i lived through and isn't it wonderful to hear that and to feel a little more normal Yeah, You know, because if I'm the only person having that experience, the only person talking about that experience, it really makes me feel like an outlier and like I don't have that. I'm just um, terminally (laughs) unique, you know,
0: (laughs) terminally unique is a fantastic phrase. And of course, I absolutely agree. I mean, that's exactly why this show exists is because I felt terminally unique for so long. And I even though I did, you know, had people I could talk to about it. Even the people in my life that love me who don't know what it feels like really can't understand, you know? And I try to explain what it feels like, what I'm experiencing, but it's so difficult because like the words don't exist, you know? There's, because I, I mean, for me, I'm undiagnosed, so I don't know, I I can't like go into a a research textbook and learn about my condition and know how to talk about it. I just have to kind of say, well, it feels kind of like a burny, tingly thing over here and a pain and a pressure over here and, you know, and I just, I feel like crazy when I talk about it so to be able to talk about it to people who will understand because they feel something similar is you know I'm still getting used to it it's so new for me still this podcast you know we're around 20 episodes at this point and it's just existed for a few months but it's just completely changed my life so fast to have access to other people like me it's like oh my god I'm I'm not unique I'm we're just spread out and the internet can bring us together yeah
1: We're just a small percentage. I mean, there's the percentage of the population that knows they're disabled and has a diagnosis. And then there's a percentage of the population that doesn't have a diagnosis or has various diagnoses, but there's no, like, comfort in those diagnoses. They don't really. um, And that's where my issues come in. That, like, I have a lot of little diagnoses that I don't feel, like, are widely accepted by the medical community. And that can be really, really hard and frustrating when you're like, I know what I'm dealing with. I've figured out in my life because, by the way, I have 10 years on you. I'm 46, Mm. um, and I've been dealing with this pretty much my whole life. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, let's get into it. I'm I'm excited to learn about what you're going through. So, I know you have a couple things going on. So, Elizabeth, what are your major (laughs) pains?
1: Well, um, most recently, I've been through elimination diets and and, uh, because there really isn't a medical diagnosis when you're trying to figure out about food allergies. Or, in my particular case. Food intolerances, um, and the diagnosis that feels the most true to me right now is histamine intolerance, where that I don't process out um, the normal histamine that's in my body at the same rate that other people do. Mm. Um, Because I don't know if you know, but histamine is actually natural and normal. When you exercise, your histamine level goes up, Um, and it's an important process. It, It helps regulate. Um, how your muscles react so they don't um, get damaged while you're mm. exercising, that, that histamine reaction. So um, you can't cure histamine. It's, it's a part of the body process, right? Um, and I've always known that I, I've had much worse allergies than anybody else around me. Um, and when I was, this is one of the things interesting for me is because th- this has been lifelong. This is not like where I had a diagnosis at a certain point and then I got sick. Um, the story I like to tell is that when I was very young, my mom tells the story of when I was a toddler and um, I was sitting in the, in the high chair and I had had like colicky coughs my entire since I was born. You know, I was one of those sickly kids um, and she would put down that bowl of food for me and I would start eating and then I would stop coughing as I always did because I was always phlegmy and I'd cough and I'd cough and then I'd throw up everything I just ate um, and she'd have to clean up after me and then um, she'd come back and I'd be whiny because I was still hungry. You know, yeah. like I hadn't thrown up because there was a problem in my stomach I'd thrown up because I just couldn't get that my, my uh, um, couldn't get stuff down. Right. Um, and I, we would start the cycle all over again. And she said, that was the kind of kid you were, you know, I was just sick all the time. Mm. Um, and as a, a young adult, sorry, as a, a kid, I then had um, chronic ear infections and, um, you know, my teens, I had chronic bronchitis. Um, It was all little stuff. Nothing that's going on with me that I've experienced is going to kill me because of modern medicine. You know, people don't die from bronchitis anymore. Most of the time they can survive because there's meds out there that you can take. There's over-the-counter meds um, that you can take that will allow you to survive a pretty nasty upper respiratory cold. Yeah. But we went through, I got tubes in my ears when I was a kid. Um, (laughs) I was a regular, you know, um, visitor at the ear, nose, and throat doctor. Um, This is lifelong. There was no onset. But I've been sick since I was a kid, since I was very little. And my entire, like, um, uh, schooling career was influenced by this. I always had absentee problems. I was always the sick kid. I was the kid that would go to um, the nurse's office during lunch because I had a tummy ache Um, and the kid that was always missing out on stuff. And I'm, I'm a, um, I'm an A student when I'm able to be in class, but when I'm not able to be in class um, you know, I can't make that up because generally I wasn't at home just laying around. I was at home sick. I couldn't be a student when I was like, when I was having those episodes. So um, when I was in my teens, my mom for herself had started looking into, you know, I have all of these chronic issues. She has all these chronic issues as well. Um, And she was looking for doctors and we were having problems, you know, with my absenteeism because there comes a point in high school where that they're like, you know, the kid has to come to school. That (laughs) I had truant officers coming out to my door because um, I was missing school and I had excused absences. My mom was writing notes and saying, yeah, she's at home sick, you know, um, she's, she's got snot coming out of her nose, you know, like she's, she just doesn't feel well. Um, so I had support. Um, but there came a point where she started looking into, let's see if we can find, um, some help. And at the time I was on my, um, my biological father's military insurance. So the military system is a little harder even than the regular medical system. And mom decided she was just going to forego the military system and start looking for us for regular doctors paying it out of pocket. And she started her war, basically, with, the, with her doctors and with the medical community to figure out what was wrong with her and what was wrong with me. And we were lucky. Eventually, she found someone, um, an allergist, actually a set of allergists. There was one that first diagnosed me and said, try the elimination diets. Even though we can't get find any food allergies through the prick tests, you know, on your skin, I'm suspicious that you're one of those people that, you know, you need to do the elimination diet to find it. And we found out I had wheat allergies and milk allergies. Um, and that helped a whole lot. That helped my improve my health greatly. Mm, wow. Um, but it wasn't 100%. Yeah. You know, it was still, you know, I still had problems, but it was better, you know. Um, and then um, she found another allergist. And this is where my story begins. <laughs> this is where the, the really juicy part of my story begins. Because Ooh. up to this point, it's like I'm just a sickly kid. So we found an allergist who um, did blood tests and diagnosed me with um, an IgG subclass deficiency. And um, uh, so IgG is the immunoglobulins. Yeah. That's it's it's actually considered a very mild immune deficiency. Basically, is what I was diagnosed as. Interesting. So this is around when I was 16, and we did actually for a while have me on, um, IgG shots. And it, that made a really big difference. Mom says I was, you know, the best that she'd ever seen me was those couple of years where I was on IgG shots. Wow. Um, so I had a diagnosis and it felt so good. Oh, at the same time, I was also diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome. They're like, you know, we think you have, you know, these are kind of, they're kind of combined, you know, but so anyways, um, so I got this great diagnosis. It was lovely. And then I aged out of getting medical insurance under my parents, under mm-hmm. my mom. And um, like a kid, you know, I went off and I lived my life and I didn't keep up with my medical records. And actually a decade passed before I really was like, oh, you know, I finally have regular insurance. I need to get back on this. Um, we thought I was going to go on on SSI because like I'd never been able to keep up um, with having regular attendance at school. You, you'd be surprised if I could have regular attendance at work. Um, but I was able to start m- getting jobs and you know went down that path. But I didn't have consistent insurance. And I started having this experience where over that 10-year period, I kept um, going to the doctor and saying, do these tests. These are the tests that will show you what I have.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I had two or, th- two or three different instances with doctors saying, do these tests, they'll show you. And they came back and said, nope. You don't you don't qualify for that or that that isn't true anymore and I'm like they
0: won't do the test at all
1: no no they did the test oh but the numbers did not show that I had a deficiency
0: oh interesting wow oh that's so frustrating because so, <laughs> you had many this diagnosis years later, yeah and you're like I know I had what's a diagnosis.
1: going on yeah I know what's going on I had a treatment yeah but I was no longer able to get to the treatment and I couldn't get the diagnosis and at the point they're saying you don't qualify under this it's like well, okay, I guess maybe I don't have that anymore. Um, I just have the chronic fatigue syndrome. I don't have the um, IGG subclass deficiency anymore.
0: Had you been on the IGG the whole time? Was it shots that you were taking? Yeah, you said it was shots. It was was
1: shots shots that I was taking. It was shots, but I was only able to do that while I was on um, my uh, military medical insurance. Okay. Um, The moment I was out on my own, I I couldn't get it anymore. And I don't remember the timeline of when I went and got my first test after I was enabled on that, but I'm pretty sure it was, you know, it wasn't too long. And then they were like, no, 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 that, 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 you don't have that diagnosis.
0: Wow. That, yeah, that, right? would, so, like, that would be so... I mean, I'm just imagining if I had gone through that, I, because I haven't gotten a diagnosis yet, um, if I had gotten one and then they'd taken it away, I would have been devastated. And especially because the treatment was helping. So then you can't get the treatment anymore. That's so upsetting. Exactly. Yeah.
1: So the next part of the story is, many years later... You know, I kind of got a steady job. I always had absenteeism issues. And really, the way I manage that is every couple of years, I just had to get a new job. Eventually, I'd be at a job <laughs> and they'd get tired of me being sick all the time. And I'd be like, okay, I'll start all over again. Because when I first started a job, everybody's always really impressed because I am an A student when I'm there. Yeah. But I'm not an A student when I'm sick.
2: Sure.
1: So um, I went and uh, I started doing some research on my own. I'm like, why did I get this diagnosis all those years ago? And this is like a decade later. after. I'd gone through this like, okay, I don't have treatment anymore, but I'm more of an adult, kind of, you know, I'm in my um, late 20s, early 30s. I got married, you know, I had a little bit more stability. Turns out that the diagnosis that I got and the treatment that I got, that um, through their scientific rigor, they had uh, figured out or decided that, that there was no range for the subclass deficiency that I had. Hmm. That um, if your combined numbers are fine, um, they don't consider one range being low as a deficiency anymore. And I have paperwork that shows the numbers didn't change that much, Hmm. but the numbers that qualified
2: changed. Hmm.
0: Gotcha. This is also so so frustrating because I've also been in, in situations where like my numbers were borderline and no one did anything about it. And then I found out later that the number classification was different in different situations my numbers were super low and no one knew because you know people just go by like strict cdc guidelines and those, as those yeah. change they kind of throw away what was there before or or like the knowledge of how things might be different inside of those guidelines is not you know propagated through the medical system so things fall through the cracks it's it's happened to me too it's really upsetting
1: Well, so what's true, I mean, as someone who's, um, you know, a tech geek and in STEM effectively, um, I do believe in science, you know, and I know that science changes over time and understanding changes over time. So um, the fact that the fields that I got the diagnosis on was so new in its maturity that they came to different conclusions later. Yeah. um, It's like, what am I going to do about that? You know, it's totally.
0: totally i mean i'm i am i am super scientific i 100% believe in science and i also recognize that because because science is so often right when when things are on the like outliers of of the of what's a normal range um, you know everybody is different so like for mm-hmm. for your body you know uh, like a low IgG might be very s- serious, but if they're looking at your combined numbers, is it combined like IgG and IgM? Is that what they're looking at? I, I have a, um, there's I have a four little.
1: Subclasses. Okay, there's go ahead. Yeah. Su- four subclasses for IgG, mm-hmm. and like the first two are really important, and the other two are less important, okay. which is why it would be like considered like a minor subclass deficiency, um, and so uh, like. Um, yeah, the fact that that one of them was low in the end—it's like, well, that doesn't matter to us anymore. Yeah, here's the gotcha, thing: gotcha. I also have other issues because, like I said, um, yeah. uh, uh, I've been sick since I was a kid, and um, uh, you know, gut science and immune science—as um, much as we we know, there's a lot that we don't know.
0: More that um, we don't know—it's exploding right now with the gut science. Yes. Yeah, and the autoimmune so stuff.
1: I, I follow the science because I know that, you know, you never know when they're going to come up with new tests and new things that they can do to help those of us that are in the outliers. Although this comes back to the whole idea that I always struggle with. I struggle with, but I recognize it's like when you go into a doctor and you're the exception to the rule, the problem is always going to be that they're relying on the rule. They're relying on the statistical models that they trust. And they're going to say, you know, like only 1% of people that has this. So, of course, you don't have it. Exactly. Because they're, that's what they think.
0: Yeah. But you're like, what if I'm the one, you know?
1: What if I'm the 1%? Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> if
0: the test is saying that I'm the 1% and, and, the, and the, the treatment is helping, then wouldn't I qualify as the 1%? Am I not the exception that proves the rule? And isn't that still scientific? And that's the thing is that it is it is like it if, is. if you it look at be. like the the medical research it will tell you the exceptions but doctors aren't willing to acknowledge that you might be one of the exceptions i that is so f- common and so frustrating
1: well and I, I blame not just doctors i blame the medical system that we have in the us yes related to insurance because there yes. is some of us it's not the doctor's fault <laughs> uh, but
0: their absolutely. hands are tied of course they can't absolutely. treat
1: us with the even when they know something will work, if they can't get it covered by the insurance, they can't give it to us. Yeah. Um, which is kind of defeating on both sides. It's defining, defeating for those of us that are patients and defeating for the medical community that's trying to help their patients. And we have to all live under this rule of a non medical system to say what we're allowed to get. Yeah. Um, so it gets really complicated. So having <laughs> said this, I mean, like, so I had the experience of getting a diagnosis, getting treatment that worked, and then that treatment being taken away from me and being told that that diagnosis was no longer true and i could spend a lot of time being unhappy and upset about trying to fight against that and honestly i came to a point in my adult life where i decided i watched my mother rail against the system for years and years and years for us to get a little bit of help and honestly i don't want to do that Mm -hmm. um Yes, it's very frustrating to live without a diagnosis that I feel like is an accepted diagnosis, but I have to choose. Do I want to spend the rest of my life fighting with the medical community or do I want to know that I'm not dying from any of this? If something happens to me and I am acutely sick where I need to go into the doctor, I know that if I'm acutely sick on those rare instances, I can go to the doctor and they'll take care of it um, because I will. If I fit in the medical models, they will treat me. Yep. But anytime I don't fit in the model, medical models, it isn't. I don't think it's worth the fight for me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not dying from any of this stuff. It just makes my daily life miserable. Um, and the way I handle that is with the the saying, you know, life sucks, smile anyways. It's like, yes, <laughs> I hurt every day. Yes, I'm, I struggle every day. But I get to choose if that is going to take me down or if I'm going to find some way to live within this and to make it manage. Um, and I don't want to spend my life fighting. I just flat out don't.
2: Yeah.
1: I applaud anybody that is willing to do that because I don't have it in me. Um, so I'm not wanting to put shame on anybody who's fighting against the medical system because in our position, unless you have the money for a private doctor, the only way you're going to get um, treatments or movement is by be willing, being willing to fight. You're just going to have to rail against the yep. system. Yeah. Um, so that's, my, that's my, my story about my diagnosis that I got and that taken away from me. Um, on the flip side, during that, I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, which is now called ME, and I, I don't know how to pronounce the um, the ME name. <laughs> um, if I go into a doctor, I can still bring that up, but um, I can't think of any of the diagnoses that I f- manage on a regular basis that I have that the medical community is eager or accepting of. It, it, yeah. it feels like they're all on the fringes as far as they're concerned. Um and since most of it I can manage with over-the-counter treatments unless I'm acutely sick, I just do. I live my life. I go to work. I figured out how to um, manage going to work and being disabled by giving up everything in my life except for work. That's the thing that I do, you know. Um, while I was married, there was a period where we're like, you're just sick all the time. You keep losing jobs. You know, just take some time off. And I did the thing where I stayed at home and I was completely homebound. Hmm. And what I ended up with is I was sick at home all the time. Yeah. And if I have the choice between being sick at home and poor, because effectively you are poor if you're going to be not working, you know, um, unless you have money from your, your family, um, or not having any life. And I'm, I'm also divorcee now. So that makes it easier for me. It's like, I don't have a husband. I just have my regular old life. I have my job, which I love. I, I love working. Um, it's so much better than being home, stuck at home right now. Um, although, sorry, for a little offside there. What's funny right now about the pandemic is that I experience a lot of people talking about experiences that I know very well having spent <laughs> a t- part of my life yeah. trapped at home. Um, yeah, this has like, come
0: up recently. We've been talking about this. It's like we've all been living... Like, you know, Spoonies out there have been living this lifestyle for years. And now all of a sudden yeah. everyone's like, how do I find meaning when I can't leave the house? And we're like, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's <Yep>. a struggle. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> it is possible though. Yeah. It's just a struggle. And it's 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 struggling with your mental health being trapped at home.
0: So what are the things that you do that you have found that work for you to manage mental health being being stuck at home?
1: Um. Find something to distract yourself. So my big way that I manage any pain that I have, um, I don't want to be dependent on narcotics. I don't want to be dependent on drugs. And I try to be as careful as I can to find um, alternative ways to manage my pain that aren't, I don't really believe in like alternative medicine, but um, like um, uh, I'll take a bath. (laughs) Honestly, this is so funny. Or I'll take Alka Seltzer to get my acidity a little bit down in my body when I'm really allergic. Um, But for how to manage the mental health side of it, um, what you get out of work is a purpose, somebody that needs something from you and um, people that you're interacting with. Um, If you're at home and you still have work, you still have that purpose to an extent because you have people that are like requiring things from you. If you're at home and you don't have something, um, someone requiring things of you, I 'm um, all into the idea of find a purpose for yourself mm-hmm. um, you know if it could be an art purpose it could be a crafting purpose for me it's really easy to think about arts and crafts because that's that's my passion. I love to create um, but become a part of a community if you have online access you know um, uh, they always say that one of the easiest ways to make you feel like you're a part of society is by volunteering. Um, Uh, some, you know, because then that gives you that feeling of engagement. Um, My biggest trick for pain though, and, and being trapped is um, literally distraction. (laughs) I try to find things that I lose myself in. Um, When I was a kid, it was reading books. As an adult, it's doing art um, or my work um, that I believe very strongly for managing pain, the trick of distraction. If you can get yourself out of the pain, you'll still have the pain, but you won't be focusing on it.
0: Exactly. I, um, I feel the exact same way. We, I actually just recorded a podcast with uh, someone who's researching pain and researching distraction therapy through VR. No one's heard this podcast yet uh, as we record this because it, I haven't released it yet. But by the time your episode comes out, it will have been out and we will have just talked about distraction therapy as like the science of distraction therapy and where it's going. So, I, yeah, I'm, I very much... Um, subscribe to what you're saying it's also like the you know i talk about this all the time you know finding a creative project or finding a community online i mean we we are living inside of my coping mechanism right now with this podcast (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) find some way to get yourself out of your body effectively yeah Yeah, i totally totally. believe in that you know what's so funny is that i just got um uh like i'm a mid-adopter when it comes to tech even though i'm a tech person uh so i waited a couple of years and um they just released the oculus 2 vr headset i just bought one
2: Ooh.
1: um and i love that thing man it is so super fun and there are some meditation and relaxation apps on that yeah. that are weirdly immersive Yeah. Now, the that's one thing what we were i do have about. to anybody who does that does have to be warned that um the deal with VR is that if you have motion sickness, you really have to do your research about which apps you go into, mm-hmm. um, because the way they do, they call it locomotion, the way that they um, they program in how you move in those things, um, if you have motion sickness like I do, you really want to go towards the apps that are aiming at keeping you in a stable position instead of moving while you're in there. Yeah, um, yeah. because Because uh, VR motion sickness is a thing and it is a known thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. It sucks. Um, I've experienced it once and it was rough. You have? Yeah. Yeah, it was rough. I,
1: since I did pre-research, I've only had one or two where I was like, I was in a minute and I'm all like, yep, can't do this at all. Like, yeah, <laughs> get that refund.
0: <laughs> it's incredible how immersive VR is. I mean, you really are transported, because it also, like, there's an audio component, and that's what I hadn't really thought mm-hmm. about, is that when your eyes are completely immersed, and your ears are experiencing something outside of reality, you really go there, you know, like, your brain goes there. It's really incredible, and the the potential for therapeutic use I is it, just so profound. And I'm so excited to see where that goes in the future. And I want to try it. I was mentioning this on the podcast we just did is like, if anyone out there is doing research studies about VR, and you need someone to try it, please make pain <laughs> please podcast <let> you know. <laughs> at gmail.com. Send me an email. <laughs> I'll talk about it on the show. I'll promote it. Um, yeah, you know, it's
1: funny. Um, me being someone that um, has histamine intolerance. So one of the biggest problems I have in my life is doesn't matter where I am, I'm sick. But there are places that are going to make it worse. If mm-hmm. I go outside when it's high winds, or when there's a lot of pollen, or when there's um, a lot of pollution, like I'll have a bad day just because I went outside.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: um, I have a real—I have to struggle with, you know, how trapped I am by by, by my universe. You know, um, yeah. inside I can at least have um, filters up. Um, although the mask, oh man, that is the one thing about Matt—the the normalcy and the mask in the pandemic—has been huge for me but anyways yeah. I, i'm getting off track no this is actually um, a
0: good uh, this is a, where, what i was okay. going to try to steer us towards i wanted to ask you more about this like you i want to hear more about your symptom picture and the way that it affects your life you just kind of started going into it a little bit this is really interesting to me um yeah okay, i want to hear so, more about that
1: so histamine intolerance the idea is is that um that uh, based on my elimination diet i don't filter out um histamines from my body like normal people do um and so most people have some level of allergies or have an experience um, and allergies are different than a cold, right? I mean, like if you've had allergies, you know that yet yeah, similar, but they're it's a little different, right? Um, the way that I determined my histamine intolerance was by um, reintroducing into my diet things that are um, histamine uh, load heavy. Like, um, I don't know if you know this, but you know, wine, people talk about getting a wine headache afterwards. Um, if they get that, that's because... Um, wine has a very large histamine load in the food. Oh, I'm sorry. That's the part I'm leaving out. So the deal is (laughs) histamine is also natural in your food. Yeah. Um, The different foods are low or high histamine amounts in that food product. Um, And specifically things that are fermented, um, histamine doesn't disperse like when you cook it or the older it gets, it actually gets more. Hmm. Um, And if you've ever had um, a... uh, Oh, crud, what is it called? When you, um, food poisoning. If you've mm. ever had food poisoning before, it's highly likely that what happened is, is that there was probably a bug that blew up the histamine content in that food. Mm. Um, there are bugs that you could specifically have reactions to, but there, there's a high likelihood that it's because there's just too much histamine in that and you ingest it and then your body goes, oh no, well, where, where most people, it would take something that's really spoiled to have an issue. Um, for me, it's as little as um, leftovers that are left out for an hour or two or leftovers the next day wow. um, can trigger um, IBS-like symptoms, you know. Um, I mean, I don't know how gross I want to be. How gross are Gastro- some of your people I'm here? Gastrointestinal distress. Yes, yes. <laughs> Very, uh, like, really painful, really awful gastrointestinal distress as my yeah. body flushes out um, the reaction. Yeah. Um, the funny part is, is now that I've... I, sorted out that that's that's part of where this is coming from i figured out why i have that when i haven't eaten anything that's suspicious um i can clean my room and get the same level of histamine intolerance response in my bowel um, mm. just by being exposed to too much dust because my yeah. body is overloaded and needs to flush it out yeah. um so it starts for me with histamine intolerance much like an allergy you know like i get the right nose i get the um the, the snottyness i get the sore throat um but then, if the load gets big enough, then I start having all, all over um, pain and it's so funny. I don't really like calling it pain. it's discomfort hmm. it's it's like every part of my body is swollen um, like you're wearing a tight pair of pants and they get tighter hmm. <laughs> all over my body. and that's what the pain is and yeah. it, it's not really acute it's it's very my skin hurts. yeah, that's the best yeah. way I can say it. my skin's uncomfortable totally. Um, and then if it gets bad enough, I will get the flushing, you know, or <laughs> that I have gastrointestinal issues. Um, and then eventually, um, so, and it takes about three days for me to get over um, a major reaction like that because it has to flush out of my system. But if I don't back off and um, give my body a chance to heal, um, I'm known to say that, you know, like I can literally give myself a cold. Um, if I keep, keep staying at that high level of histamine intolerance, eventually I'll just move right into the bronchitis. And that's what happened when I was a kid, that would always happen. I would always be like, um, always, always too high on the, my bucket of histamine was always too full and I kept adding to it. And eventually my body would be like, oh, you know, there's, there's this little, little bug that's shown up that you got exposed to. Now we're going to, that guy's going to get to flourish now because like your immune system's weak and you're going to get sick. Um. So when I was a kid, that was my chronic bronchitis. As an adult, I'm able to fend that off by being very careful about um, what I introduced to my body. I mean, I'm not as bad as, you know, the kid in the bubble movie.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I don't have to be inside all the time. Um, but I have to monitor it very, very closely and yeah. be careful every day. And there are days where that I can't figure out why I'm having a reaction. I'm just having a reaction, you know, yeah. whether it's like... um that uh, I got exposed to because I do have chemical sensitivity side of that as well. You know, Mm -hmm. like um, perfumes are a problem for me. Um, Cleaning solutions are a problem for me. Um, uh, My, my mom was a nurse when I was growing up and and she said that nurses used to say, they're just people that have piss poor protoplasm. And she said, (laughs) you know, like, you're just like that kid. You just have piss poor protoplasm. I'm like, yep, (laughs) I'm not dying from it. It just, it just is hard. Yeah. Um, If I had been born in medieval times, I would not have survived childhood because I was sick that often.
0: Yeah. You you know, my my health issues, when they first appeared, my entire childhood, um, all the way up through to my early 20s, we just thought that I had severe allergies. Um, And my worst reaction is to mold. So if i walk into a room where there's mold my brain completely stops working and i start spasming and i like can barely speak and it's just like really really intense and i grew up in san diego where it's very moldy and there's actually like you know an ambient mold count in the air and there were days where if the mold spore count was high i would just get sick going outside and i just wouldn't be able to mm-hmm. function that's why i moved to the pacific northwest is you know it's a little counterintuitive but the it's a lot easier to live a mold free life in the pacific northwest and it wasn't until i got out of that environment that we discovered that i had a, pro- a progressively you know some sort of progressive illness that has gotten worse and is now you know no longer happening just because of mold um but I was in this world for, for a long period of my life where we really thought that was my only issue was allergies. And, and it was really hard. I mean, it was so difficult. I went to all sorts of allergists. I did shots. I did the, the prick test that you talked about. Me and too. W- When I did yep. the prick test, it was like every single thing swelled up. So, he's like, well, you're allergic to pretty much everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm like this. It didn't. It wasn't helpful at all. And I, you know, there's also like some research that those tests aren't aren't helpful because you might ha- your skin might react to something that you won't have a systemic reaction to if you breathe it in. Yeah, so. isn't it?
1: Your skin is just the IgM like reaction. It's I not don't know. The I'm not or the sure. Other, or the Ig. It's it's IgM or Ig. It's one of those, but it's like it's specific to that domain. It's not. Yeah. It's not all of them. And yeah, which is yeah. why there's yeah, a blood you know, test as well and then there's the elimination diet
0: yeah so the igg and the igm is interesting to me also because i was also, i was misdiagnosed with lyme disease at one point and oh, wow okay. I, um, I i never remember which is which but one of the igg and igm one of them is your like active immune system and one of them is your immune system memory do you remember do you know which is no which?
1: I, I don't remember which i is can which never that. remember but um i do remember there's a third there's the IgE. There's oh the IgE, igm and igg okay Vink. yeah
0: yeah, yeah we're, my, we're my knowledge <laughs> my knowledge is limited to the two, <laughs> just because that's what we dealt with in the Lyme disease. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just so, there's so much that we know about the immune system, you know, but there's still so much more that we don't know. And I just spoke to someone recently with uh, Mast Cell Activation Syndrome, or um, MCAS, <laughs> and there's all this new research being done around all of this stuff about like why people's bodies have such extreme... Um, histamine response and mm-hmm. you know we're, the science is like close it's like we're almost there but we're not quite there to really understand how to how to help people like us you know it's it's different for everyone um, and you know I haven't in, in the Seattle environment luckily my to my knowledge my allergy issues pretty much went away when I moved here and I it just occurred to me recently it's like man I have not even tried you know and I haven't taken an antihistamine in forever. I should try that. And I just went through that and tried it. It didn't make a difference. I'm like, okay, well, I still feel like it's, you know, I feel like as long as I'm away from mold, my histamine response is, is fine. Um, but I do have a little bit of a glimpse into what it's like to, to not be able to go anywhere. Because in San Diego, my whole childhood, there's just mold everywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. Mold likes a warmer environment. It likes to grow under, you know, raised foundations and nice warm Uh, environments, like San Diego is perfect for it, like Florida is probably the moldiest place in the country just because it's, you know, it's warm and it's moist in the air and that's what mold loves. So I I have lived a bit of that life where I just, you know, always had to be aware of where I was and how I was feeling. I'd walk into a room, I'd feel a little bit of mold or smell a little bit of mold and just know that I had to get out of that room right away. Just like this hyper, hyper vigilance, you know? um when i read harry that's potter right for, for the I, first time you have, to... <laughs> have you read harry potter, uh, harry ha- potter? Yeah. yes you remember mad eye moody when he talks about yes. yeah he's like constant vigilance i was like that's what it's like to be allergic mm-hmm. to everything <laughs> it's like you're an r and you're looking out for dark magic <laughs> um but yeah so I, i've lived a little bit of that as well um and i just want to uh I just want to verify, you know, what you're talking about is like, that. that is so hard. You know, some people might say, oh, you just have intense allergies, you know, no big deal. And it is such a big deal. It's, it can be so intense and so crippling and people don't really understand that or take it seriously. Has that been your experience?
1: I think um, you just put a hit on it. Um, the, it's the just thing. You, it's mm. like you just have a cold. It's like you just have allergies. They're putting it in the context that they understand those things. And they really can't understand what it's like to live day-to-day with to, – to every day have just allergies and every day have just a cold, you know, to always be fighting those symptoms. Yeah. Um, it, it wears at you. It, it, like, eats at you like that – The constancy of it is different. It makes it a different experience. And it's hard for people that don't. My experience is it's hard to explain and it's hard for them to understand when it's not just a just, when it's a constant. Yeah. Um, You never get a break.
0: You don't get to relax. You never get to take a day off because if you try, you get so sick that you can't get back on your feet for days. And every once in a while, yeah, you like take a break because your body is done and you need it. But then, you, but then you fall into like a deep pit of not being able to get out because your body runs out of resources. It's really hard.
1: It's really hard. And it's hard to explain. And it's hard to... Yeah. It's also... it's. Uh, what's interesting for me is the difference experience and trying to explain it. You know, I was, I was saying that it feels like um, I'm wearing clothes that's too tight and it gets tighter. And that's what my pain is like. Um, I can explain that to a person, but they still they're still not going to get what it's like always chasing, avoiding that, always trying to get away from that feeling. Um, what it's like to, well, you just have allergies, but I'm allergic to the world. There isn't a single allergy. It isn't just for a period of time. This is my entire life is, is super allergies. Um, I'm always, um, a certain amount allergic and it, this, the, the spectrum that you're used to it. Yeah. It's just different. Um, and I try to be forgiving and understanding of their lack of knowledge because they can't understand what it's like to live in my body. Right. The same as, as with a doctor. I mean, like one of the things that was really hard over the years was figuring out how to be forgiving of doctors. And I still I still really struggle with it, especially since their culture is so about men or women doctors are coming from a place where that they have to be the toughest people around hmm. their schooling requires them to be these uber tough people and to pass tests that we as persons with disability would never be able to, t- to pass yeah and so we're going and seeking out from these people who are hyper tough they're like the the um the olympic athletes in their world hmm. and trying to explain our symptoms to them and they're like i'm a god i understand what's going on with you and you're sitting there <laughs> going You have never lived in a human mortal body that's flawed. You you can't understand what's going on with me. You can only understand it from an intellectual perspective. And if you look at me from your godly perspective and you're saying, you know, um, I understand because I have all of the, uh, you know, PhD level knowledge and I'm saying I have a lived experience. Um, those are two different experiences. Those are two different worlds. Um, I do like to say that if you have someone that lives with you, they're the closest that you're going to get to someone that experiences your life and your experiences because they see it every day. Mm-hmm. But even then they can't completely understand it because they don't live it. Um, the example I use, and I've used this in a TikTok, is is um, I understand what depression looks like. I understand what the symptoms are. I understand what it looks like when my sister or my mother is having an episode mm. Um, I have anxiety, but I don't have depression. I know because the words they use, the experiences they have, the symptoms they have, I see them, I understand them intellectually, but I don't understand what that feels like. Um, and I know I don't understand what it feels like because I've listened to them and I'm all like, yeah, I, I don't have those feelings. I don't have that experience. Um, and I try to be empathetic, but I have to live in the reality that I will never understand what it's like to have clinical depression because I don't. Um, Only another person that has clinical depression at the same way that they do will understand their lived experience. The best I can do is have an outsider perspective on it. Um, And it helps a little bit with my feeling about doctors, but only a little bit. I have, I have a lot of like, I'm going to admit a lot of, you know, chip on my shoulder about like,
0: you know, they're
1: useful useful only when I have extreme symptoms that I can bring to them and say, um, you know, like uh, I'm so bad that you can't escape the fact that I'm bad. Um, Yeah. One of the experiences I had is I went in for repeatedly for an ear infection. When I was a kid, I used to get yeast ear infections like all the time. And this hadn't happened for years. Um, and I went in four different times because I kept getting yeast infection. And they're like, okay, do this, do this. And then like the second or third time, they're like, okay, we don't see anything new going on. And so then I waited for a long period. I, was, I waited until it's really bad. And I went into the doctor and I... He looked and he said, oh, my gosh, you're overgrowing with yeast. And I'm all like, yep. And he's like, you need to come in sooner for this. And I'm sitting here going, I did, you know, (laughs) thinking in my head to myself, but trying to be really patient with him and going like, I hear what you're saying. I understand next time I will try to come in sooner, which is a little bit of a white lie. Because, like, you know, like I had already been to three or four other doctors looking at the same issue. And it was only until it was acute that I was able to get attention and for them, for them to do something about it. Totally. Um, and I hate having to play that game because it's not good for me. And it's, it's not, it doesn't put me in a good relationship with doctors, but I don't know what else to do. I've never been able to find out a better way to get their attention. Um, and I don't know about your experience, but I've never had consistent doctors. Like I've never mm. been able to have long-term one doctor that I stay with with the years of getting new employment all the time, um, it's only recently I've been in this job for more than five years, and I've had a pretty consistent doctor.
2: Yeah, um, but I, I'm
1: kind of old and set in my ways now.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I had an amazing childhood doctor uh, for years, and I, just, I, I still think of him so fondly, like what a wonderful man. And he, when my health flared up severely for the first time, um, I mean, it, it had been happening a little bit on and off with the mold stuff. But then when my like neurological stuff set in in my early 20s, he was just such a great advocate for me and tried to get me into all these different appointments. And um, we just had no idea what was going on. And none of the specialists took me seriously. And it was just kind of a disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I moved to Seattle, I did have a regular doctor for years. And I, she she was really scientific and really good. And I liked her a lot. But I reached a point where like, I really felt like A crazy person when I was coming back to her over and over again, saying, hey, look, I'm not making any progress, I'm getting worse, like, I've got these weird tingly feelings in my arms and legs, and, like, I really would like to figure out what the hell is going on, and we went back into diagnostics, and it was the same thing, where, like, no one would take me seriously, and um, eventually, she even told me, she's like, look, I have been seeing you for years, I am out of ideas, and I would like to send you to another doctor, and I complete, and that was it. Like, I stopped seeing her. She kind of severed my relationship with her. And it was a little traumatic in a way. Um, and I, I can, can
1: imagine. Yeah, for you sure. You have someone that you were trusting that you're like, I have a relationship with you. You understand what's going on. And then they gave up. And, yeah. you know, what? I can understand as a human how it can be like, you know, I can't help anymore. But yeah. from the other side of that, then you have the person that's been abandoned. I mean, like. It doesn't have that support system anymore.
0: It was really complicated because on one hand, I was actually really grateful that she just came out and said it and said, hey, I'm out of ideas, you know. Um, I have a friend who is a, a, you know, a functional medicine doctor who is like halfway between, you know, traditional medicine and naturopathy. So, she sent me to her and I saw her for a while, but then her whole department got shut down. And, uh, and I went doctorless for a little while. I just saw a naturopath for a while, and that's a whole other can of worms. Um, and that's now, so interesting. yeah, for the first time since my childhood, now I'm seeing I have a consistent primary care doctor who's fantastic. And I just feel so lucky. Like he's never, ever made me feel crazy. He's never made me feel like what I was experiencing wasn't real or um, wasn't worth pursuing. He's always knocking down new doors for me and I still see specialists sometimes that you know aren't helpful but um they, they do the thing where they like run one set of tests can't find anything and tell me that they can't do anything else and exactly I, I feel like
1: if you it, don't fit the medical model they exactly just step out of it they're like yeah
0: and to me like that's kind of what I mean when I say they don't take me seriously because I feel like if they were to take me seriously they'd recognize that what I have needs to be um worked a little harder, you know, and maybe that's just me being, you know, greedy, but I want doctors to be willing to run a second round of tests.
1: <laughs> you know what though, from, from the, if I were to play devil's advocate and, and say as much as I have a problem with doctors, I'm always to remember how to be forgiving of them. Yeah. The truth is they're not encouraged to do that from their from the, um, right. the insurance companies. Right. They'll get punished for running too many tests. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, they're stuck in that, this.
0: That is actually different in a teaching hospital. Um, and this I say this all the time that the way that like teaching hospitals work like I now am at the University of Washington Medical Center, okay, everything is different there, so um, I still run into dead ends all the time, but it's more because the doctor is out of ideas, and yeah it's uh yeah it's it's been a whole different experience, you know when you go see this, a specialist they look for the one thing they know, they know how to treat and if they can't find it then it's the wrong specialist so it's okay. not it's not necessarily that they're not taking me seriously it's that they can't find what they can help me with so then they send me to the next person um whereas like at my old medical center it was lit, it's what you were talking about you know they can't run more tests because of yeah. insurance and like you run into some real brick walls um and it's like really really devastating i my my current primary care doctor explained this to me at one point, how the insurance is different, and I wish I remembered what he said. And I'm gonna, I'll have to ask him again so I can share it with the podcast. But I keep saying this over and over, and I'll say it again. If you are having a long-term chronic health problem, and you're having a hard time navigating the medical system, try going to a university hospital or a teaching hospital, because things work differently there. And there's also just a culture of advancement happening there because Mm -hmm. i feel like a lot you know they they are more likely to recognize that medical science is deeply flawed and is working to get better and there's so much that we do know that's so brilliant and wonderful and incredible but they're not going to punish you for as much for not being someone who is readily cataloged inside of that um I, i always i always use this example of like when i had testicular cancer um at my old medical center I, like, went in, they diagnosed it, they did surgery, they did treatment, like, everything was done within a couple of months, and it was incredible, like, they were so good about it, they were, like, so, um, like, my my urologist was incredible, and he was just, like, really kind and patient with me, and, um, but set me up for success as far as, you know, giving me a real good sense of um, what to expect, and how worried I should be and trying to keep my worry level down. He did such a great job because, you know, cancer is scary, but I I didn't even have to do um, chemo or anything. And I was just in and out of surgery. And then I was back to work a couple months later. And I was like, that was amazing. You know, that's what I've always (laughs) wanted from the medical system. Um, But they can only do that when you have something like you were talking about that like falls into those boxes that are easily diagnosable. And- Mm -hmm you know when you don't you got to keep looking for doctors who are willing to go down a journey with you to be on a road with you and to like doctors who recognize that they don't have the answers but will keep trying to find answers or or knock down doors for you or at least try to find supportive measures things that might help um While you're looking for answers to try to at least live your best life in the meanwhile, and I finally feel like I have that, but it still feels so upsettingly slow, you know like every mm-hmm. appointment is months apart, and every time we look for something and don't find it, it's so crushing, and it's really hard not to take it personally because the system you know isn't set up for to 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 treat you as a full the human. exception
1: to the rule they they're, they're yeah. not it's not set up for the um the exception to the rule. <laughs> yeah,
0: totally. Yeah. I mean, there's there's ways through, but you but you're right. Like I am fighting all the time. My full time job is like fighting for my health. And you know, and now this podcast is like really taking over a lot of my life in a really wonderful way. Um and you know, I, I it's keeping things in balance and keeping things in check a little bit and helping me to feel a little bit more positive. But um but yeah, I mean, it is—it's just a constant. It's a constant fight that you have to fight. But I just reminded myself of a question that I wanted to ask you, which is—you okay. um, know—speaking of like coping mechanisms, what what are the um, medications that you've tried? I know for allergies, a lot of it is over the counter, and it's really overwhelming because there's so many choices. So, what helps you? What has worked for you?
1: Um, well, I'm mostly just going to talk about the over the counter stuff. That's the—that's yeah. what's worked for me. Yeah. Um, so back in the day um, before it was, um, before it was, uh, generic, um, I started taking Allegra and I find that Allegra for when I want to be awake and Benadryl when I'm okay with falling asleep. Those are the two, you know, treatments that work for the best for me for just allergies. Mm -hmm. Um, the trick about allergies though, like I said, is a histamine intolerance is it's not just about, cause all the, all the, um, the antihistamines will do will slow down the histamine reaction. I don't know if it's production or reaction, but it it, it, it tempers it a little bit, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't get rid of where the problem is. Um, The trick is uh, for my treatment is I really believe in the, um, in doing the graduated exercise and doing the Mm -hmm. graduated movement. So I try to live somewhere where I'm getting a little bit of activity, but not too much activity. I do avoidance. I mean, like, that's the big thing that mm-hmm. when you have allergies of any kind, they're going to tell you avoid it. There is no cure. You can only avoid it. Um, uh, I do take, um, so, my weird trick, the big one is Alka Seltzer. Um, I don't take it regularly because it's too high in sodium, but um, I take it whenever I'm having a really bad reaction. Because um, if you go into the hospital, I don't know if they still do this, but they used to do this, where that when you went to the hospital and you're having anaphylactic shock, They'll put bicarbonate and um, uh, Benadryl in the IV um, to lower your acidic level as well as, you know, the the antihistamine level. Um, And I find it works that, you Mm. know, uh, like if I'm really, really allergic that 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 helps temper the symptoms at least. Um, uh, But I don't have any good tricks and, you know tips and tricks when it comes to those are great tips and t- tricks <laughs> like not yeah. over the counter i mean mm, like mm, i take basic stuff, stuff yeah. yeah i just take basic stuff i take it all the time yeah. um you know Yeah, that's something uh,
0: i was wondering about what what is the safety of taking antihistamines long term
1: and i don't know I, I keep reading up about that Hmm. Because, like, I'm always wondering, is, there something, is this doing something bad for me or good for me? Um, I do try to take breaks sometimes on weekends, especially when I can sleep in or when I can take, like I said, my other trick is, is take a bath. You know, like, um, and take a bath is two points. The first thing is is that um, uh, water is a natural um, – oh, gosh, now I can't remember the word. So um, water gets into your skin, you know, when you're, when you're taking a bath. Um, and it actually helps flush some of the allergen load that's on your skin because we were talking about that, you know, some of your reaction happens, your skin is an organ and some of the reactions for your allergy happen on your skin. But when you take a bath, it actually helps wash some of that off. So it actually decreases your allergen load. Also, since big prob- problem for mine is swelling, taking a bath helps because then I'm doing compression um, through the water. You know, it's tightening everything. It's better than a compression hose. And the third thing is, is that... Um, uh, you know, the heat and the warmth also helps. But also if you can get under the water, your compression is um uh do you know about when you're scuba diving, the lower you go, mm-hmm. the tighter you're in. the, pr- the, the same, Higher
0: pressure, yeah.
1: A higher pressure, thank you. Yeah. The higher pressure you're at, same in a in a, a tub of water. You know, like if you can just get under really submerged under the water, I have a really big tub and I get submerged under the water and that helps with the compression
2: mm.
1: um and helps with and with warm water then it helps with the circulation. Um this is all really just a fancy way of saying, I take baths and it helps.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, that's, unfortunately, we don't have much that does help a lot of the time. So these little tips and tricks are really important to me. And it's so funny how often they're so similar. You know, the a little bit of exercise, but not too much thing is absolutely something I hear a lot, something that I say a lot because I find that to be true as well. And for my mold issues, avoidance. Yeah, it's the number one thing. I just, I have to, live in a very clean space i have to Mm -hmm. be very careful that nothing gets moldy because if i leave some fruit out or something you know my mold allergies haven't gone away i just have gotten really good at avoiding mold so it's no longer it's no longer like a i mean it's thinking about it now just like hearing you talk and realizing how big of a deal my mold issues were it's like you know i just couldn't function when it was around um It's like, I still can't function now, but I feel like it's for a different reason, unless I've been missing mold for the last 10 years, you know, (laughs) but I've gotten so careful, you know,
1: I think it's one of the issues with um, being persons with uh, chronic health issues and also having multiple health issues, Mm -hmm. you know, that like when um, our bodies are complex systems and doctors are looking at us through the lens of, I have um, very clear scientific tests that have looked in very controlled environments of this specific area. Well, my body is, is complicated. It's not just one thing. <laughs> I mean, like my, my long-term health issues is about immunity and, and histamine intolerance. But one of my other diagnoses right now, I have um, massive fibroids, um, you know, lady parts, my I have gross. Um, and I'm actually at the point where that my uh, one of my fibroids is baby sized you know, um and I have massive bleeding that happens every month because of my fibroids, and wow. I'm taking tons of of stuff to deal with anemia. Um, mm. So like, I don't have one diagnosis. I have a variety of little diagnoses, and my system is complex. So looking yeah. at me and saying, you know, like, well, you have fatigue, um, because you're allergic, and I'm like, well, I also have fatigue because I'm anemic. You know, which is the one that we're talking about today? Um, and that's hard for doctors because they're, try- they're looking at their distinct area. And I've had the experience. I don't know. Did you ever hear the, the advice to, like, bring your list into the doctor of the things that you have going on to you? Um, and I had a terrible response to that. They were like, I do not want to see the things that your long list. I want to know what's going on today. Um, and I was like, okay. Uh, you know, if I can think of that way, that like when I go into the doctor, they really don't want to hear my history; they just want to talk about today. Um, and I mean, the funny thing is, years later, I learned that you know I have an allergic reaction because of dust, and it can lead to me having gastrointestinal issues. It seems odd that those two are connected, but now I have a complete path. It's like, yeah, um, my my gastrointestinal has a reaction to me being my allergic load, um, and you would think that me being in the bathroom and being doubled over. You know, you wouldn't think that that's anything to do with allergies, you know, but yeah. it is, you know, yeah. like that's, I can now say, yeah, definitively, if I do this thing, then this is the reaction, cause and effect. Mm. Yeah. Um, if I don't, then I have that happening less. Oh my gosh, since I started the um, the low histamine diet, I've had so much less time, you know, having that um, bad bathroom time, basically. Wow,
2: that's awesome. <laughs>
1: um, and it was so nice to be able to track that on, tra- track that down on my own.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: you, you're treating yourself like a science experiment. Like you're, I am. Yeah, I really you're, you're am. You're testing things out, and when they work, you stick to them. And Yeah, I mean, I applied that process to myself for years and found it to be very helpful.
1: Now, the problem with that, of course, is I have to be careful about trying stuff that I've convinced myself works, but maybe I'm making myself worse. I mean, the, the, that's where the pseudoscience comes in, um, mm-hmm. is, you know, like, um, I do get concerned about… Um, snake oil and, um, mm. being, uh, recommended things that it's like, uh, that, you know, maybe I think works, but like, uh, mm. yeah, yeah, I don't want to take treatments that are actually either not helping and just not doing anything or that are convincing me of things that are not really true. Um, Uh, So, I try my hardest to to follow the science, just to read what I can to say, does any other doctor agree with this? Even though I'm still in areas where it's like, it's not widely accepted, but their histamine intolerance is not widely accepted. But some doctors do admit that it's true. They also admit that they don't have any way to to track for it. Um, And the only real treatment to histamine intolerance is um, a poop transplant. Yeah. (laughs) But those are not, those are not widely set up right now because it's all about your immune system and the gut problems. Um, yeah.
0: I've heard about this.
1: Yeah. And, but since it's not widely accepted yet, I can't go to the doctor and say, can you try me on this? Um, well, cause I'd have to go through. Yeah. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, and it makes me really nervous even talking about it because like, I mean, one of the hard things, Oh, I don't always like to be out with individuals about my health issues. Hmm. I think It's private. Um, it's like my sex life, you know, like, unless you're really close to me, why am I going to expose this part of myself? Because you may have judgments that, um, I don't want to deal with unless you're close to me. Um, and so I struggle, even though I'm very out, my work knows about my health issues, online knows about my health issues. If I meet a person, I don't often introduce myself by saying, you know, like my name's Elizabeth and, you know, like, let me tell you my list of health problems because (laughs) I'm, I'm prepping the whole relationship. On them thinking of me that way, we call it, um, there's a term my mom uses a lot called identified patient. Hmm. Um, How do you feel about being the identified patient in this scenario? Um, And uh, I don't like starting out my relationships as the identified patient. If it comes out as I get to know somebody, that's a totally different thing. Um, But prepping the relationship, starting the relationship with, you know, like I have chronic health issues. I don't know. I like, I just don't think that's it. It doesn't work for me. That's what I'm saying.
0: Totally. Yeah, I mean, you want to be seen as a person, and yeah. this is a piece of you. And because of the social stigma around illness, they just see you as only the illness at that point. You know, like I've started using a wheelchair recently, and I've really experienced this where the way that I'm seen in public has changed overnight, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, like I was at, I was at the grocery store in my wheelchair yesterday and I wheeled past someone else in a wheelchair and I like, you know, looked, looked at him and said, hi, as you would like walking past someone on the street. And that was it, you know, but I had this distinct impression that he was surprised that someone had said hi to him. And it made me think about the fact that like, you are invisible. Like people are trying as hard as they can to not see you. And it's weird, you know, it's, really othering um it's an interesting experience to have you know and i'm still like kind of getting used to it and in that transition space um and not everyone acts that way but you know (laughs) people try so hard to get out of your way and i'm like i i just want to look at like something on the shelf and i'll I'll inch closer and they jump as if i'm about to run over their toes and like run away you know (laughs) It's like, you didn't need to move at all, you know? Like, you're not, I'm not that close to you. Like, people try so hard to kind of give you a wide berth. It's like, they think that if you're rolling forward, you can't stop or something. I don't know. But I'm not going to run over your toes,
1: people. (laughs) One of the privileges of having an invisible disability is that you can can stay in the closet. And that's the way I approach it. That, like, I don't have to. Um, you know, you're only going to figure it out once you spend a lot of time with me and that's way down the road. And at that point, I'm probably going to open up anyways, because I'm very out to people I know. Yeah. Um, but do I want to expose if I have the choice, if I have the, the ability to kind of keep it in my, my, my pockets, um, what I choose to, um, and yeah, it is different when you can't hide it when it's that everybody can see it. Yeah. Um. And I, I have to say, that's another thing. I can't understand the experience of um, uh, using a mobility device yet. Um, yeah. I haven't had that experience. I haven't had to. Um, and I know that that will change my perspective. And that'll be a new thing that I understand. Even though my mom uses a wheelchair right now because of, of her arthritis. And it, it she uses it not because she needs it, but because she hurts less if she uses it. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I I haven't had to be in that place yet so I don't have a intuitive feeling of what it's like what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah,
0: it's funny cuz you know, you think you understand something until you go through it. And like yes. I I had an invisible illness for most of my life until very recently when it became visible with the wheelchair and strangers are stopping me and asking me how I hurt myself, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Because, and you're like, because people see a wheelchair and they assume that you're that you had a traumatic injury or something when you're my age. So um, when in fact, the wheelchair is like a huge relief for me because it, it does like significantly lower my pain level for getting around. And that allows me to get out of the house more. And I've been, you know, kind of living the COVID home lifestyle for like five years. So mm-hmm. I'm as the world is opening up a little bit. I'm also coming back out in the world. Just like peeking my head out, like yeah, yeah, that was a crazy year, right? (laughs) When in fact it's been like five years for me, Um, and it's just it's just so different, you know. Like I'm so excited to have the wheelchair and to be able to get out more, but like it's it is diminishing to the way that people respond to it, and you just Mm -hmm. I have to build up that thick skin to it and not take it personally because it says more about them than it does about me. But I'm the one bringing that response out, and it's hard to not feel a way about that, you know.
1: Actually, this pivots into another of my favorite things to talk about. It took me, as someone who was chronically ill from birth, effectively, um, it took me until my mid to late 30s for me to be comfortable with the idea that I was disabled. Mm -hmm. Um, that all of the things people saying around dismissing me that those things were not true, that like, I, it was okay for me to embrace that idea for me to live in that reality um, and to decide, you know, I get to make choices one way or the other about it. Um, uh, But I mean, I've been dealing this from very young age and it took me that long, you know, for me to kind of wrap my mind, to become really comfortable with it, to become confident with it. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. I know that you're talking about your experience of having to grow and learn and become comfortable with this new set of reality. Um, I can only imagine what it's like for someone who midway through life suddenly becomes disabled mm-hmm. um, and has to change their whole worldview to understand this new perspective. Um, and that there's a, I'm sure there's pass of grief. There's pass of exception, acceptance. Um, I can totally understand how people can spend years and years and years just in a really bad place and and maybe never come to accept it um, yeah. because it's it 's a new it 's a new way of seeing the world. Um, I feel grateful that I was able to do that that I was able to have a lifetime and eventually and have the support and community such that I was eventually able to be like, This is my reality i 'm okay with it, this is who I am um, yeah
0: yeah that 's really interesting. I've just been thinking about that recently because I, I have not been using the term disabled for myself and I, I'm not there yet because like I have a mystery illness. If Mm -hmm. I were to get a diagnosis and it was a disability, then that would be the day that I would start using that. Or, I mean, I have applied to disability Mm -hmm. (laughs) and if I get approved, you know, I'm going through this whole process of them evaluating me, you know, to see if I'm disabled. And if I get approved for that, will I start using that term for myself? Maybe. Which is weird because it's like, why does their external validation of why disability, does why does that yeah. matter to me? Um, and at this point in my life, I feel like, like using that term for myself doesn't feel right yet. And I don't know why, you know? I don't have, you know, I, I'm getting more connected with the disability community and recognizing how wonderful a lot of the people are and being a part of that, there's an element of joy in that of being accepted for who you are, as you are. I'm just like, because I'm living in so much unknown, it's really hard for me to claim that title because if I get a a diagnosis and there, and there's treatment, then I won't be disabled, you know? And I, it's like, I don't want to take that, term unless i feel confident that it is a um a state that i'll be in for you know indefinitely and i don't know why you know there's no one telling me that that's the way that it has to be done it's just for some reason that's what it feels like to me does that make you sense it's funny
1: about that yeah it does it makes perfect sense and what i have to say is that this is a personal journey no one can tell you what yeah. you have can or can't um crutches and spice actually said something that like, has talked about this as well. Oh, yeah. Um, and I she's brought up... Just found Crutches
0: and Spice. I just found them yesterday.
1: She's very fierce. She's very impassionate. Sometimes it's hard to listen to her because she will say things that it's like, oh, oh, you got me there. I don't want to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> It's a little too close to home. Um, but uh, she specifically brought up about... Um, okay, so Crutches and Spice has, has brought up about the term disability and what does it mean? Hmm. I mean, it's, it's something I've explored in my, um, my content as well about, like... Um, you know, I go by the ADA definition that it's like, do you have stuff that impacts your, um, your daily ability of living? There's like a very specific and it's like this big but specific thing that says, like, are you living with something that affects you daily um, different than everybody else? You know, like that a healthy person would not have that, that impediment. Um, and mm. so for me, when I took that, di- that definition, it was really easy for me to accept. Mm. But it's a personal journey. You can't yeah. have anybody tell you you need to take that monitor. And there is no official, like, there is no certification. There is no doctor will you tell you you're disabled. There is no, you know, maybe you'll get SSI or SDI. Maybe you won't. That doesn't consider you officially disabled. Yeah. Um, like, it's, I really think it's a personal thing. Is it a word that you, you decide you've embraced or is it that, you know, like, and you don't have to, I mean, like, I don't, I, because it's a personal journey, it is not required for you mm-hmm. to call yourself anything you don't want to call yourself. And there's no official definition of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah,
2: totally.
0: Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I use terms like, um, like my condition is increasingly disabling. Like I use that mm-hmm. term. Um, but I. You know I've never thought of myself as disabled, or like I generally don't refer to myself as disabled, but maybe I should I don't know it's weird, like how many people own their own super nice wheelchair that don't think of themselves as disabled I don't, right? know. <laughs> I don't know, probably not that many um but yeah, I mean it's I'm just not ready, I guess, and i'm I'm so like we we have found some irregularities on my blood work finally, and we've been trying to track it down for for months if you know if not even getting close to a year at this point trying to figure out if there is a diagnosis to be had because of these irregularities and while i'm in that holding pattern i'm not prepared to um you know take a stance on this one way or another for myself yet i just i can't because i'm right in the midst of it you know um even if i get on disability i still i don't think i will still feel prepared unless i get a diagnosis or not, you know, until that moment, like, I'm really in limbo. And it's just, it's, it's so aggravating, and it's, it's something that I'm still just trying to learn every day how to live with, because it's so hard to to think about anything else or to do anything else when, like, my, my health and my life is kind of on the line. And it has been for a long time, but I feel it acutely right now, you know, I whenever I'm not looking for a diagnosis and just going about trying to live in the best way possible, these things sort of fade to the back of my mind a little bit easier. Uh, You know, what you've described as, you know, um, like not wanting to fight the medical system and just looking to kind of treat yourself as a science experiment and find things that work. That's how I was living before my current flare up. And I, Mm -hmm. that worked really well for me for years to the point that I felt You know, like it was on the back of my mind a lot of the time. And then when when I flared up really badly, went back into diagnostics, It just like, it's all right on the forefront all the time. And it's so hard to focus on other things, which is why the distraction therapy is so nice. Um, But, you know, like you said, like everyone's journey is different. We all got to find our own way through this. It's not, you know, the idea of this podcast is not to tell, is never, ever to tell someone what to do, ever. It Mm -hmm. is to present a whole bunch of different people telling what they're doing in the hopes that the people listening who are unsure of what to do for themselves can get some ideas to try that's that's the whole idea is you know we, no one's journey is going to be parallel we all have to find our own way and the more we talk about it and the more we build community around it the more ideas we'll all have to try that's that's my great hope you know
1: should we stop talking? Because that's a really good line to end the podcast on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> sure. Let's do it. Uh, Mike, I'll have one more question for you. Is there anything you'd yes. say to someone at the beginning of their journey with um, extreme allergies or histamine intolerance? Is there something you wish you could tell someone at the beginning of their journey based off of what you've learned?
1: Well, the first thing is that um, even more than histamine intolerance, I would say, um, a diagnosis is just a word it's just a term it's just an idea um you can be disabled without having anything officially written down or having a doctor tell you that that's what what's going on you know that um that's that's my big message that i hope to get out through mm. whatever i'm saying that's one of my big messages is that um I don't tend to talk in my TikToks about a specific diagnosis. I mention them in passing, but I don't focus it into I have histamine intolerance or I have fibroids or I have chronic fatigue. Um, I tend to talk about this is a symptom I'm, I'm struggling with right now. You know, I'm having brain fog or I'm having um, post-exertion malaise or I'm having um, anemia or I'm having um, IBS-like symptoms or, you know, like um, I'm having nice sweats or I mean like the list goes on and on and on, right? Um, I try to focus on, I have a symptom, I have to live with it. This symptom is not normal, um, but I'm surviving with these symptoms. I'm finding ways to manage. Um, And it doesn't matter if I have an official diagnosis or not, I still have these symptoms. Mm -hmm. And so my biggest thing would be, um, if I was going to give advice, which I try not to as much as I can, because I think people have to go on their own journeys, I'd rather tell a story than give specific advice. But if I were going to give advice, someone <laughs> to someone just to me, I guess in the past, if I was going to do that, yeah. it would be like, it's okay to decide that trying to get quality of life with your symptoms, regardless of your diagnosis, um, is an important thing to do. Mm. That's that's the I love it. word I would give.
0: That's so powerful. That That theme comes up a lot. And I resonate with that very deeply because, you know, It's so hard to be in the diagnostic process and care for your quality of life. Um, I used to feel, I just said this on the show recently, I'm gonna say it again. (laughs) Um, I hate repeating myself, but sometimes I feel like things need to be said in, in the moment that we're in. So I feel like, I used to feel like, you know, I needed to either seek a diagnosis or treat myself in the moment and worry about my quality of life. I felt like I couldn't do both. And you have to do both, you know? If you're gonna choose one, Choose your quality of life in the moment. Start there. Get yourself to a place where in the moment you are able to, you know, have joy and Mm -hmm. then start seeking for a diagnosis if you want to do both. But don't just seek a diagnosis and neglect your own joy because...
1: Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like Don't neglect
1: your daily quality of life. Don't stop your life just because you can't find a word for it Um, because that... That is the path to unhappiness, saying, yep. you know, like, I can't live my life because I don't have a word to call the experience that I'm going through. Yeah. You're still living the experience, Absolutely. you know. Um, I actually have a great example of, like, um, my fibroids only came up in the last 10 years of, like, a big diagnosis, and I kept having pain on my lower right side. Um, and I went to the ER more than one time, and they were like, because I called the doctor and said I'm having lower right pain, and they're like, oh, you know, that might be appendicitis. You need to go into the ER right now. And I did. And in the end, it turned out it's just fibroids and they've been growing massive. And I look like I have a little baby going on in there. I call mm-hmm. it my, um. this is one of those uh, funny things. I call it my um, my tumor baby, you know, that I got going. <laughs> um,
2: um,
1: but I, I did have to seek out help because I had new symptoms that were impending my quality of life yeah. um, that were outside of the scope of what I'd already managed. I needed in site to get help with those particular symptoms by going i did get help i learned out that i was very anemic and i've been anemic for years now because Mm -hmm. of my fibroids and i take tons of iron i take a crazy amount of iron i should be toxic from the amount of iron i'm taking um but like even with me i found a way to manage the stuff that i already knew about and that i figured out but there will come new things that pop up and sometimes you do need to seek out medical help separate from chasing a diagnosis, I was chasing, a, I have a symptom that's really impacting me. I don't know what to do. You are the medical community. Can you give me help in figuring out what to do with this particular symptom? Yeah. Um, and it was helpful. I'm glad I, I'm glad I went because otherwise I wouldn't know what was going on. I wouldn't have a treatment.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Elizabeth, this has been amazing. I mean, you're just so wonderful to talk to. And I'm sure you well, know, we, we do you. have people that listen to the podcast that have found us on TikTok who may want to follow you on TikTok, And I'd love for you to, um, to share or self promote anything that you feel like sharing, feel free.
1: So the whole point of anything I do online is to sell my free art. I'm not making (laughs) money from this. And I only want people who want my brand of art, which is going to be straightforward and to the point and telling my real story. Um, I keep thinking some things private in my life, but the stuff I put online, it's online, it's public. Um, If you want to follow me on TikTok, I have, you know, Elizabeth Turnquist. Um, If you want to check out my webpage, which is where I do my poetry on a regular basis, it's also Um, ElizabethTurnquist.com. I've been on the internet forever, so I'm sure if you went searching, you'd find other stuff. But those are the main things that I'm selling today, which is my poetry and my my online activism um, through TikTok and my geekery through TikTok. (laughs)
0: awesome yeah and when i when i post this episode i always post little clips of each episode on tiktok and i'll I'll tag you there if people are already on tiktok who follow me they'll have an easy way to find you
1: awesome absolutely that would be wonderful (laughs) for sure okay so we are we done recording now
0: well let's let's wrap it up yeah elizabeth thank you so much for being on the (laughs) show today you did a really fantastic job so many wonderful things to say i really really appreciate your time thank you
1: Absolutely. I'm so, I'm so glad and so honored that you let me come on and talk with you. I enjoyed it a lot.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons, Naomi Adele Smith, Sonny Roberts, and Laura Stevens, and our $25 per month producer, Steve Kavanaugh. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition and gifts at patreon.com slash Podcast.